Thank you, Ronald. And good morning. Not sure exactly why Pastor Keith thought it would be a good idea to subject me and y'all to this um, this morning, but it is um, it is a privilege to get to open God's Word with you in a church where I have spent 31 years of my life um, going back to uh, the nursery with Miss Blanca. And the LCC OGs know who I'm talking about, right? Um, doing uh, powwows and campouts with Royal, Royal Rangers, with Mr. Farrell Green and Steve Roberts. Um, you know, getting to uh, cut up in Miss Anna Oliver's children's ministry and uh, annoy uh, Hopi Gordona before she was the VBS queen uh, back then. Um, joining the admin staff in high school and learning how to work from Pete Shefferstein. <laughs> He'll teach you how to work. If you, if you need a lesson in that, he's willing to provide it. Uh, but I could, I could fold bulletins like nobody's business. Um, and watching our leadership uh, navigate Hurricane Katrina and how to care for a flock that was suddenly scattered and uh, moments that needed discernment, needed leadership, need, needed wisdom, and being able to to see God's favor on this church throughout that season of of rebuilding and and growth and just really miraculous activity uh, from the grace of God on us. Jeff Earhart gave me the opportunity to preach when I was 16 uh, to the youth group. And I can remember going out to uh, North Kenner Park and uh, preparing that and practicing what my message would be. I think I used the word eschatological in a sermon to youth. And right then should have been the sign. I don't think I've improved much uh, since then. Maybe a little bit better audience sensitivity. Probably not. Um, the old man... Let me teach the school of the word with him uh, at 19. He wasn't 19, I was, in case you were <laughs> needing clarification about that. You know, the school of the word, in order of importance for him, it's like right below his grandchildren and slightly above his wife and daughter, you know. So this is, was, was amazing that he would allow me to have that opportunity to share responsibility with him. Uh, being entrusted with caring for God's people and walking with you in uh, moments where God is showing up in amazing ways, um, times where he is giving faith to endure trials and seasons of suffering. I mean, there, there are some people in this room that uh, I used to, to kick the back of your chair <laughs> and then I've been able to, to sit down with you in a, in a counseling room and open up scripture and we can talk about how this is the guiding light in dark places. It's just been such a privilege. I officiated my first funeral here before my first wedding. And I don't know if that was, you know, prophetic of uh, what was to come. But, you know, there are, are so many stories that are worth sharing. But, you know, Sunday morning isn't mainly about my story. It's about God's story in the gospel. And so would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 16? And I wanted us to look at Psalm 16 this morning because it gives us a framework 
for navigating life, for, for walking through times of transition, and for facing every season with confidence. And it also provides a way for me to communicate some of the values that I've received from this church, you know, and, and the leaders here, values about God's sovereignty, about uh, his purposes among his people, and about joy in life trajectories. And so if you'd read with me, starting in verse 1, Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence... There is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. You know, the Psalms teach us how to respond to life moments, right? One of the great blessings of the Psalms is their psychological reality. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. They're, they're helpfully human. And many of the Psalms are emotionally raw, right? There, there's this, this honesty to God. We, we bring to him our hurt. We're invited to name our enemies, even to question his delay. You know, growing up in the Christian world, I can remember outlets like the family bookstore at the Esplanade Mall. You know, it was like the Hallmark store for the church. Uh, they sold everything from, you know, Bibles and music to testaments. You remember those? It's like even Bad Breath was religious somehow. Uh, but you'd have these picture frames and mugs with psalms printed on them. But it seemed like certain psalms never quite made the cut. You know, Psalm 88's darkness is my closest friend. It wasn't printed on any of the merch. <laughs> it wouldn't have sold, you know, when prosperity is trending. But I, I love that through the Bible, God invites us into the real world. A, a world that's broken. A world that's filled with pain. But he gives us another lens. He gives us a redemptive lens 
through which to see that world. And, and this is one of those lenses. Dale Roth Davis, in his commentary, says, In Psalm 16, there isn't quite that on-edge air of emergency as in other Psalms of David. This Psalm is more restful. Here he ponders what anchors him rather than what alarms him. And it's a portrait of the satisfied life. And it looks like being content in God's protection, committed to God's people, confident in God's plan, and complete in God's presence. And so let's look at these together. First, content in God's protection. He says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take Refuge, in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And if you're paying attention there, I'm not sure how the font shows up on, on the screen. One benefit of looking in a Bible is you, know, you, got, you got two words there for Lord. And, and one's in all caps and you know, one's got lowercase writing. And that's just the way that our English Bibles are cluing us in. That all caps Lord is standing in for Yahweh. It's God's covenant name there. And so he says, I, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. You are the master. And so it's not just a statement of orthodoxy. It's this orientation of the heart. He uses God's personal name. And then he personalizes it for himself. You are mine. You are my Lord. You are supreme. You're, you're not just God in theory. You're first in my heart. You are the highest good. And, and we know that's what he means because in the Psalms and in Hebrew poetry, the, the next line kind of further states what he just spoke in verse 2. I have no good apart from you. That, that's what it means for God to be Lord. He's the definition of what is good. And what comes into your mind when you think about God, you know, the, the Belgic confession, when it goes to define God, describes him as the overflowing fountain of all good. That's what it means to say that we live in this theistic universe. There is an overflowing fountain of all good. And we end up with a distorted picture of God if, if we primarily see him as somebody that's like needing our worship, needing our service, needing us to show up in key ways and make a difference. Like that somehow adds anything to him. You know, there's certain illustrations that stay with you. And one of them was one that I had heard John Piper give years ago. And he, he said, you know, God isn't, he's not like a watering trough that you have to keep refilling. And so Sunday mornings and Christian ministry, it's like, get the bucket brigade. Everybody come and bring your bucket. Make sure you pour something into God. You know, that he springs a leak. He says, God, God is the mountain spring. He is ever-flowing, ever-supplying. The only qualification that you need for a relationship with him is not strength, but thirst. Wow. 
and said, you come, you come needy. You come qualified to receive from him. And that is what he delights to do. And by the way, before I ever knew who John Piper was, there was a voice in my life named Keith Collins preaching this from this pulpit. And I'm grateful this, is, this has been a pulpit that has directed us again and again toward the centrality of God as our good. And, and David, he, he draws from the fountain and it is filled in verse 5. He says, the Lord or Yahweh is my chosen portion and my cup. It's his way of saying that God is enough for me. Every day, right on time, he, you know, here's the daily portion, the daily serving size for my needs, for my frailty, for my weaknesses and fears. I come to him and I can be filled. And what this amounts to is contentment, a sense of safety. That's where he began, right? I, I take my refuge in you. And, and don't we long for this? To feel protected? You know, every day we are searching for somewhere to place our trust. To find refuge. To feel acceptance. To arrive at this sense of stability. We, we want to know that we're okay. That it's going to go well for us. And, and here's the insight into human behavior that Scripture provides for us. Right? When, when you notice, what do people fight about? You know, what, what causes conflicts in relationships? What do people try to protect? What makes them feel desperate or easily offended? What tends to get attached to their anxieties? When, when you pull a little bit on the cords of human motivation, you'll find something they either fear or fear losing. Something they feel like they can't live without. Or something that, if it arrived, would feel like life is over. And whatever that is for us, whatever makes us feel empowered or insecure, empty or whole, that will preoccupy our hearts. And your sense of functional security is, is connected to what you worship. And you know, worship isn't just something that happens in an environment like this. There, there are certain um, graduation commencements that kind of stand out as just kind of key moments and speeches. And uh, by the way, congrats to our graduates of high school and of college uh, in this season. And those bumping up from eighth grade, I know it's a season of, of graduation right now. Uh, but, but one of those famous ones was given by a man, a man who's a novelist named David Foster Wallace. And his speech is titled, This is Water. And he had a keen eye for social trends. He was writing in the, in the 1990s when he said this. He was already disturbed by the relationship uh, between technology and addiction. And, and this is before the smartphone. You know, this is just, he just was aware of the role that TV played in his life and the people around him. And, and he noticed a culture 
that was getting consumed by this. So as he was speaking to this college graduating class, he said this. He said, everybody worships. The only choice that we have is what we worship. And he said, if you worship anything other than God, it will eat you alive. He wrote, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure. And you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. And this David writes in verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Notice this. That's not a threat. That's just a fact. It's a picture of exhaustion, running after, chasing, trying to find ultimate meaning or hope in any created thing, never arriving, just ending up tired and only bringing sorrow. You see how it's loving of the Lord to warn us against idolatry? Right? Idols, it's not just about disobedience. They are damaging to us. And so the most loving thing that God can do is to insist that we would find our satisfaction in him. Because trying to find it in anything else will eat us alive. Idols are slave drivers. And every day you can show up to serve them and they never deliver what they promise. They just use and abuse. And they leave people with sorrow. But satisfaction in God brings safety and rest. And if you are content in God's protection, you are committed to God's people. You know, in my uh, resignation letter to the elders that Keith read to you, I wrote this. I said, I'm thankful for the love of God's word that was transferred to me. The vision for God-centered ministry, we just saw that. And then I said, the centering of a relational care for people in their struggles. It's that category that we encounter next in our text. Look at verse 3. Back up there. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What a statement that is. Right, how, how does that strike you? And David doesn't just talk about mere toleration here. He doesn't say that he'll put up with the people of God. He says, all my 
delight. It almost sounds excessive. You know, it's like, careful, buddy. We just talked about not breaking the first commandment. All your delight, really? Why don't you dial it back a little bit? Maybe this is a struggle to read for you. Because the saints in the land don't always act saintly. (laughs) If you know what I mean. Right? Church hurt is real. Sometimes Christians can be obnoxious. (laughs) Just hurtful and uncaring in how we treat one another. The words that we use. The comments that we'll make toward others. We can be self-serving in our decisions caught up in making war over little things and besides the presence of sin there there's the difficulty of relating with differences in a community there's generational perspectives there are personality Differences. There are our own individual preferences that we have. And, and, and there are people that we might not fight with them, but honestly, we don't really like them. We'd rather keep them at a distance. And really, David, tell me a little bit about your experiences with the saints in the land. You talking about the family that neglected you? They didn't think to invite you to the meeting when Samuel showed up to anoint the next ruler. And even after the oil ran down your head, they still found ways to exclude you. You mean the king who tried to kill you? You thought it might be fun to pin you against the wall with a spear? The nation that rebelled against you just thought it was fine to entertain an insurrection for a while. Those people, the ones you're talking about, David, you know, once, once you start to go down the list of all the people that did something hurtful toward him, it's difficult to find anybody left in Israel. Now, David knew how to run and how to dodge Spears, And so the point here is, is not that if you're in some kind of abusive setting or dangerous place that you just have to stick that out and, and suffer. There, there's a lot of wisdom and nuance that all of scripture uh, provides for this topic. But here, here's just something to discern in the attitude that he shows here. He sees something about God's people beyond their deficiencies, beyond even some of the major plot points in his experiences. And here's what I love about the Psalms. The the Psalms are a place where heaven and earth meet. And so there's this earthy, this, this gritty perspective, and then there are glimpses into what God sees. Even calling us saints uh, is it's pretty anachronistic. You know, that's, that's something of the future kind of spilling over into the present. It's a statement that, that we belong to another time. And, and scripture teaches us how to see people for who they are 
by being able to see what they'll become. C.S. Lewis made this point that the, the dullest and most uninteresting person that you could ever speak to may one day be a creature that if you were able to see them now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. You see the glory when the grace of God will make us beautiful again, when we'll be no longer trapped inside of ourselves and he will shine and doing Christian community well requires an ability to perceive this by faith. This is how Paul puts it in Colossians one verse three. He says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. You see see those two little underlined portions there, how how they're connected, right? Faith in Christ, when we, we trust him, it translates into a love for the body of Christ. There's a love for all the saints, For the community of God locally and throughout the world in Memphis, Tennessee and people that we have sent to Midland, Texas and Birmingham and Covington and and to India one day. And in our city, the people of God and in this church and in this body, they are the excellent ones. And God takes delight in his people. And as we rest in him and find refuge in him, he leads us to move toward community. And we don't need to hide from life's troubles. That's where David goes next. There's a confidence in God's plan. He says in verse five, you hold my lot. And in verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And to be shaken is to feel disturbed, to be thrown off. God is at his right hand. This is this place of, of advocacy, of defense. Of knowing that whatever he walks into and whatever he faces, God is there. Bringing his protection, bringing his purposes. And so the enemy's taunts can't undo him. And he knows that the course of his life is not some cosmic accident. It's an assignment. There are boundaries And there are plot points that have been sovereignly assigned. And so he says, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. Doesn't mean that life itself was pleasant for David, for any of us. That it always made sense or felt like a win. Again, one of the blessings of the Psalms is that they, they don't float above the surface. They, they're grounded in real life. You get 
the book of Psalms and you get First and Second Samuel, you get First Kings and you get a real story of real human beings and you watch how they spoke with God about the realities that they walked through and faced. And, and so much tragedy touched the man who wrote these words. And I'm thankful that when we come before God, we don't have to put on a pretty face. It's a little bit countercultural to certain narratives. There's an author named Rachel Hollis. She's a social media influencer. She's written the book, Girl, Wash Your Face. And uh, she recently received backlash from her comment that if you're unhappy, that's on you. And, you know, a lot of people have kind of double tapped like that, been mostly well-received, but, but it's also been, been labeled toxic positivity because she gives the impression that if, if you don't have the kind of money that she's been able to achieve, if you don't have this kind of perspective that she's able every day to put before the world with shining selfies, you know, that you haven't quite arrived. She says, you and only you are the ultimate responsibility for who you become and how happy you are. What a burden to bear that is. I don't mean to pick on her, but we live in this, this culture where it's like this influencer setting where everybody's supposed to be showing up and you know, displaying how awesome they are. And unless you're winning, unless your life is a publishable highlight reel, then something is wrong with you. And so you better get to work and come away exhausted. But the Bible doesn't speak this way. Right? Not everything is a win. David got to the end of his life and his family was falling apart. There were unfulfilled plans. There were blueprints for a temple that he wouldn't get to build. Life was not pleasant. But he looked at the plot lines. He saw he was a character in a story that wasn't meaningless. It was the gospel story. Like verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the grave. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Now notice he doesn't say that God would not let us experience Sheol. But that he would not abandon us there. He wouldn't leave us in the grave. But he might bury us there for three days. Sunday's resurrection awaits. And that's how the Apostle Peter applies this in Acts chapter 2. He quotes from this psalm and he says that Jesus is the Holy One, ultimately, who would not see corruption. Acts 2 verse 30, being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, 
nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And David's saying here, you know, it's rather Peter saying, David's grave is right there. You can see it. You can visit it. You know, we used to do field trips to it back in rabbi school. I wouldn't recommend opening it up. There's not much of him left. It certainly looks like David's body saw corruption. And that that was the end of the story. But David was a character type in a bigger story. He pointed to the son of David who would beat death and who would transform the experience of dying itself. And now all of our lives follow his pattern of dying and rising. Recently read a book called The J-Curve by Paul Miller. He talks about, you know, there are ways you can chart a graph It's called the J-curve where it has this dip and rise. And of course, the the J stands for Jesus here. But his, his point is that, you know, from large trajectories to significant seasons of suffering to just small, low grade difficulty in each of these moments. We replicate, we participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, the normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. My goal is to draw you, the reader, into the dying and rising of Jesus. To reset your sense of the normal Christian life. Freeing you from cynicism and despair. Inhabiting the J-curve promises to transform your entire vision of how you engage life. Freeing you from the world of resentment, touchiness, and just plain old grumpiness. And inviting you into Jesus' world. A world rich with joy, hope, and love. Why do we experience resentment? Why are we grumpy people? Why are we touchy or frail or easily offended? Because our underlying assumption when we face those experiences, this isn't supposed to happen to me. I don't deserve this. This isn't supposed to be what we go through. This isn't what I planned. But there is this deeply embedded meaning and purpose in low-grade difficulty to long seasons of difficulty. It's not wasted. It's not outside of a territory of God's plan. Your moments of delay, your disappointments, they are deeply Meaningful. There is a story arc that you are a part of, a narrative. We are participating in a death and a resurrection that have altered the universe and changed your experience in traffic tomorrow. (laughs) To live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you know the story 
that you're a part of? And do you know where you are in the story? God won't leave you in the grave. Final confidence that David displays here, verse 11. He is complete in God's presence. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's what we're after, right? <laughs> we want a joy that is full, that is complete, that's not shot through with holes. Like everything else in this world. And that's God's promise for his people. And that, that's what has been modeled for me here. And I'm grateful that it was modeled first, you know, not just in this church, but, but in my home, growing up with my parents. In particular, just thinking about my mom and the, the delight that she took in being near to God, in spending time in prayer with the Lord, in Worshipping him among his people. I never, I never got the impression that Christianity was some boring thing or some outward religious ceremony. It had vitality, it had reality. There was an eagerness that my parents displayed for me and for my sister to draw near to God, to be in his presence, to prioritize time near to him. To get your soul restored. I've got memories here of joy in the presence of God. Formative experiences in, in the, my time in the youth group here. And moments where you just discern the Lord was showing up in unusual ways. Bringing care to his people. Bringing a sense of adventure even young people in following him, being led by him. Times of prayer and worship and Wednesday night gatherings and Sunday mornings here that have been formative for me. And one of the things that I wanna, I wanna do in concluding this morning is to pray for God's continued blessing on you as a people in these realities. Because these are realities I've, I've learned here. And these are realities that I know the Lord will continue to strengthen and to bless. And we'll pray to that end that he would. So would you stand with me? Oh, Father, you hold our lot. What freedom and confidence there is in that. You're directing our paths. You're guiding us. 
Lord, I'm just so thankful to be able to rest in your guidance, in your timing and ways. And Lord, I, I know you love this church, you love your people. And so, Lord, I I just bring in this concluding pastoral moment here. Lord, I bring them before you again. Lord, I pray for your abundance upon these people. Lord, I pray for those who are walking through trials long seasons where it seems like you are delaying moments of confusion, inexplicable health issues, family tensions and conflicts. God, today, remind them of where they are in your story. You've not forgotten. Every moment is attended to by your care. And God, I pray that they would have a refuge in you. Lord, a sense of your protection. A sense of your fullness. God, grant there to be joy in your presence. Lord, be present in this church. Lord, bring your encouragement, bring your love, bring your correction, bring your leading, bring your presence most of all. Thank you, Lord, that we have confidence in your favor over every moment in our future. You are good to us. Go ahead and sit down just for a moment. Um, If you're new here, um, you probably don't realize how emotionally unstable the guy with the microphone is. He tends to cry a lot in moments like these. And I'm trying not to do that. I want to take a moment, though, just to express briefly. I know I think Evan and I have had two dozen departure conversations over the months. And so I think I've cried most of my tears with him. So today I actually want to lean into the future and send these guys off in in prayer, full of faith.
that there is a giant thank you that needs to sit over this moment uh, for us as church. Um, there aren't too many people who get to pastor generations like you have in my home just in the Collins household there's 45 years of life spanning our ages and from the oldest dude that would be me to the youngest guy that would be Drew uh, Evan you have pastored all of us and in this church there are families here who feel the impact of that through the years through their moments as you helped us today to see sometimes there are things about life that are just hard to understand it's hard to get our minds around the script of what we're going through and what we're experiencing and you have found so many moments to pull alongside of us to open God's word to us, to help us see life as it needed to be seen in those moments. What many of you would not be having access to is, is getting to, to pray with Evan for you and for the church to bear the burdens of life as shepherds are called to do that, to bear one another's burdens, to pray, to think strategically, about how to care for God's people. And so you guys have managed to sit with this man who was, it is funny to think sometimes, annoying you in children's church and then you're going to him for counseling later on. Isn't that kind of a weird thing that God does? Um, I say this personally and I carefully don't say too much personally because I don't think I can hang in here too well, but... There are many, many of us here who have felt personal care and friendship throughout this journey. And so we are indebted to you for the way in which you have joined us in our moments and in our needs. And you have lifted our burdens. You have been a friend that has made the journey interesting and delightful and an experience we are grateful for. would be inappropriate. It would be a lack on our part to not express our appreciation for those who have presented you guys to us, for John and Tammy and for Francis and Donna, way in which your families have been a part of our lives and been a part of our story for all these years and all that we've experienced. And you guys were just part of the scenery, part of the story, just like all of us just doing life and had no idea all that God would have in store for the way in which he would raise up your lives and use you in our lives. And, and that just doesn't happen uh, without both your parents and your families who have been such a meaningful part of all of our lives for decades. And we are indebted to them. So indebted is a good word. Looking back, um, we are indebted. We walk by faith, the Bible says. And faith comes from somewhere. We know it's a gift of God. It's the work of the spirit. But when God puts human hands in it, it's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So we have taken steps in our lives by faith, and we have been able to do that because we have heard God's word, and we have seen God's word in, in your lives, and it has helped, it has served, it has affected our faith, and it will do that for many, many years to come. And it is looking back that makes this day uh, a bit sorrowful. So I said I wouldn't look back much. Let me look forward. There was a young man called by God in the scriptures. His name was Jeremiah. And in the beginning steps, he was being questioned by God about this ministry that he was being given. God asked him a question and he used a description of an almond branch as something God would use to say this to him. He told Jeremiah, I am watching over my word to perform it. That's what God said. And Evan, I want to make you look in two directions. I can think in this moment as a man who has served as a pastor who has deposited your God's word into our lives for years and years and years. Um, and you said this today in the realities of walking in this fallen world. There are moments where you just feel like, hey, I sure hope that was effective. I sure hope that was meaningful. I hope all those hours of carefully thinking through what to say and what not to say, I hope that benefited God's people. Um, you know, there's an entrusting of your ministry and of your past and of your life to what God said. I am watching over my word to perform it. And so, bro, you may not get to see the seeds you planted come to fruition, whether it's in young lives or old people. Um, but I would want you to take comfort and rest in knowing that it is God who watches over his word to perform it. Uh, you have buried the word of God in our hearts and he will be faithful to perform it. That's looking back, but looking forward as well in your own lives. And as you and Rebecca take steps into the future, that same God is, is faithful to perform his word. The promises of God are yes and amen. They don't change. And so God is going to be faithful in your lives to perform his word and to lead you into the places that he has for you. And you and I have been, I appreciate that you put me in the same sentence with John Piper, but I'm, I'm they're not going to remember much of what I said, but you and I have enjoyed John Piper's influence in our lives. I'm going to give you a thought from John before we pray for you guys. John's latest book on providence, and that's what leads us to this moment. We are here providentially. We're not here by human accident. We're not here by human determination. We are here providentially. And John says, I invite you into a God-entranced world. Jesus said to look at the birds because God feeds them in Matthew 6 and to consider the lilies because God clothes them in Matthew 6 as well. Jesus' aim was not aesthetic. His aim was to free his people from anxiety. He really considered it a valid argument that if our heavenly father feeds the birds and clothes the lilies, how much more surely will he feed and clothe his children? This is simply astonishing. The argument is valid only if God really is the one who sees to it that the birds find their worms and the lilies wear their flowers. 
If birds and lilies are simply acting by natural laws with no divine hand, then Jesus is just playing with words. But he's not playing with words. He really believes that God's hand is at work in the smallest details of natural processes. This is even clearer in Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your heads are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God does not feed the birds and clothe the lilies. Does not just, I'm sorry, feed the birds and clothe the lilies. He decides when every bird, countless millions every year, dies and falls to the ground. His point is the same as in Matthew 6. He is your father. You are more precious to him than birds. Therefore, you don't need to be afraid. That kind of pervasive providence combined with that kind of fatherly care means he can and will take care of you. So seek the kingdom first with radical abandon and don't be anxious. Can we just take a moment and pray for Evan and Rebecca and their family and just the next things that God has in place for them. So just join me as we do that. Lord, you bring a unique perspective. The mere fact that we're coming to pray to you, Lord, is, is unique. And we can appeal, we can come to, we can come to a throne, we can come to the God who is personal, who listens, and who has authority to act. The God who brings an awareness to us when he says, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. So Lord, we stand here today knowing that you are a father in our lives, that you lead us and you care for us, that our lives are not random chance. We didn't accidentally cross paths. We don't walk on pathways that you've got no knowledge of, you've not explored, you've not engaged, you've not provided. Lord, that's not the story of our lives. The, the, the lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. Yes, they have because they have fallen exactly where you have ordained for them to fall. So God, we are here this morning as we look back, Lord, we look back over a, a hand of providence and much grace that has brought us near to you and near to one another, that has brought us to walk together through times of celebration and times of sorrow. Lord, you have been behind all of that. So, Lord, as we look back, we, we see something of your sovereign purposes that causes us to look forward with anticipation. Lord, the adventure of life is not over. It's just changing into the next chapter and the next season. Lord, what goes with us is what has always been true. Lord, we belong to you. Our lives are your story. 
being told for such a rich and wonderful cause, Lord. We could not think of a greater reason to exist than to tell the story of your great glory. So, Lord, in the weeks, months, years ahead for for Evan and Rebecca, for their family, Lord, tell the story yet again and again and again and again of your great glory made manifest in creatures that you made in your image to uniquely tell that story. And so God, in these next days, in these next places, Lord, let them find the joy of that uniqueness, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that these would be times of, of great enjoyment in you, of your goodness, of your hand, of your sovereign purpose of seeing your kingdom come. Lord, let let that last thought that John Piper shares resonate every day as they move forward to seek first the kingdom of God in great abandon, trusting, Lord, and you will provide everything that they need in this world for your glory and for their good. Lord, we pray that together as a very grateful church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.